Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It's David. John and I are having a giggle. Sure, why not? Lockdown time. Hope you're all right. I hope uh, you've survived the first couple of days of this. You're not like many looking out with a bit of trepidation about the next six weeks. But there you go. As the man from Fianna Fáil said, we are where we are. Yeah. <laughs> or as Trump says, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. How are you, Ed? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Funny old week. Getting back into the lockdown. It is. It it's, is. It's weird. And I had a funny experience. Well, it wasn't a funny experience. I brought my mum to a funeral. The funeral of one of her best friends that she'd known for over 75 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, they were in school together and all. There was three of them. They were all in school together. A lovely lady called Anne McCarthy. So I brought her up to the the church. And you know the, the weirdness of... I the think I remember her. Because remember in your kitchen, there used to always be mates of your mums when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was always like a gang of them. Yeah, yeah. There was a little, yeah, yeah, there yeah, was a little the, crew. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, I remember. And they're all Loretta girls <laughs> back in the day. So, you know, this weird thing of 25 people... Per, yeah, no, you know, it's, not, for, it's yeah. weird. It's it's, but anyway, so we were coming out. And we were going to the car, and she looks across. This is in Sandyford Church. Yeah, and besides Sandyford Church is the Sandyford Inn, and she I went, know it. "Oh yeah." She looks and goes, "Oh Jesus, the Sandyford Inn, that used to be one of my three mile pubs." You know what? Yeah, and I, so I said, "What? What's a three mile pub?" And she went on to explain that on their nights out back in, I suppose, it's the fifties. She used to drink in O'Neill's in Suffolk Street. A good boozer. A good boozer. Yeah, sure, you know well. That was her local Trinner's one. That was not, it was the Central Bank local. It was the Trinity oh, one as well, was but it was also the Central Bank Friday afternoon gargles, which ah, always right. got a little bit messy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dublin in the rare old early 90s. Well, Mam was explaining to me that all the pubs in Centre City used to close at 10 o'clock. I didn't know that. And then they'd all pile into cars. And as mom says, there'd be about eight or nine of them in the car. And they'd pile out past the three-mile limit. For some reason, there was a three-mile limit. And the pubs outside the three-mile limit could stay up until midnight. I had no idea. Called the no three-mile pub. That's a fascinating thing. But John, it's actually, if you think about it, 
the three mile in, the three mile house, the three mile, this is, it's a, thing, a lot of pubs yeah. are named the three mile. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's extraordinary. So it was definitely a rule. It was a rule. And, and I was asking her, like, when did this, when did this start or when did it end? And blah, blah, blah. She says, oh, I don't know. And I'm just going to the car and get off. You know, that was the end of the conversation. I was just thinking about it since. But it's, it, was a, it was a thing. Well, you know, it's interesting. It leads me to think of two things. One is which the... Uh, so the idea was to get people out of the city. Yes, exactly. And again, it comes back to this. The stuff we're talking about, dereliction, all this. Yeah. There has been a massive jaundice or prejudice against cities yeah. in this part of the yeah. world for years and years. The second one, it reminds me of the Holy Hour. Do you remember the Holy Hour? It's, that was just the most bizarre thing. Because my granny owned a pub down in Cork. Yeah, And I yeah. always remember... The people would come after mass yeah. into the boozer, right? Skull and pints. And then at two o'clock, they'd all disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, we're still taking direction on moral and behavioral from the state these days, from <laughs> higher authorities with the lockdown. <laughs> it's the lockdown. <laughs> That's true. We'll, we'll, we'll investigate, John. We will investigate the three mile. If anybody knows any stories of three mile inns or three mile house. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd love to know. Yeah. Hit us up on Patreon or Twitter or whatever. So that's that's a good that's a good yarn. But anything, what else? What do you what do you make of the lockdown part two? Lockdown the sequel. Yeah, the sequel. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone's just worn out. Yeah. Everyone is worn out, and I think the solidarity is beginning to wane. I think it's definitely beginning to fray. Uh, it's definitely beginning to fray. But you know, it's one of the things I'm taking away this week. Right, is the lockdown exposes how divided the economy actually is. So you know mm. when you talk about the economy, mm. you, you forget, you don't drill down and say, well, what is it? And what you're seeing in the lockdown is a significant cleavage between the protected sector or what I would say is the sort of the more government sector, right? Yeah. That's obviously the public servants, civil servants, the general public sector, but also what Paul Krugman described as the leprechaun economy part of the Irish economy, which is the big multinationals who are, again, heavily subsidised by the tax breaks. Right. Okay, yeah, and yeah. all the companies that feed off those, particularly, again, I'd say, you know, the large accountancy firms, the consultancy firms, all who are hand in glove with that sector, right? Mm. They're all doing extremely well. Yeah. But then you have the small business sector, right? And we usually don't think about the difference between both until you get a moment like that. The people in the public sector, the general public sector, lockdown for them has been an inconvenience right? You have to stay at home or yeah. whatever, right? But they get paid at the end of every week. Exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. The people in small business are actually facing existential crises. They're going bust. So the, the experience that two people sitting in the same road, maybe in the, sa- in the same estate, right? Mm. One in the public sector, one not, is having a profoundly different experience. Now, there was a lot of co-talk. I don't know if you, you saw last week, a lot. there was a lot of people saying, it was 11 men made the decision to lock down. There seems yeah, to be yeah. an absence of women, yeah. uh, and, 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 which is true, actually, when you look at it. But I also thought it was 11 public servants made these decisions, right? Yeah. And if your livelihood is not impacted by the lockdown, you have quite a different frame of mind. Quite yeah, different... and I suppose as try, try as you might to see the other side, 
you know, it's it's an yeah. ingrained thing. That's yeah. my point. Is this is not against public service? Like, you know, my five. You know, think about this public versus private thing in Ireland. It's it's always ridiculous because everyone's family will have you know somebody in the public sector, somebody in the yeah. private sector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of turning people against each other. But it's it's a it's a way of thinking. Yeah. Right. And that way of thinking, if you're not exposed to the market every day, is quite quite different. So, I mean, small businesses live in the world of risk. And public servants live in the world of security. They are two completely different. So, so basically, their outlooks are like yeah. chalk and cheese. Yeah, you know? yeah. And when you when you look at the lockdown, right, the civil servant get gets paid no matter what. The small businessman or person or woman goes bust. The you know public service is totally secure no matter what happens. The small business person is completely insecure. Mm. So what you have is this extraordinary if you, if you as an individual know you're going to get paid it yeah, doesn't course. really matter yeah yeah you, you can put up an end you don't almost. have the anxiety so for them it's like it's it's like it's a lifestyle choice but for the small business person yeah it's actually the end of the road for many of them we're not talking about tens of thousands we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people in this country are having profoundly different experiences of the next 6 yeah. to eight weeks. So give you a figure, right? Small business in Ireland employ 74% of everybody employed in what's called the productive sector. Right. Which are people who don't get a government check at the end of the day, right? Mm. 74%, right? Another 300,000 people are self-employed here. You know, sole traders, operators, sure. etc. Yeah. right? All of these people are facing the end of their business for the next few months, yeah. right? And if you look at the overall impact of small business on the society, right? Small businesses are the backbone of this country. They pay 62% of all private sector wages, all wages, right? Wow, yeah. 55% of all income tax, 55% of all USC, the social charge, right? Yeah. 63% of all that. So we're talking about, you know, tourism, transport, pubs, hospitality, gigs, Small startup companies, small Irish indigenous tech, not the big podcasters. ones. Podcasters. Absolutely. Podcasters. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. and as the economy has grown dramatically over the last 20 years, the small business sector has grown dramatically as well, as lots and lots of people have chosen to go out in their tods. And that's the essential dynamism mm. of an economy. That's what makes the difference between the sort of, kind of more, how would you say, top-down management, managed economy and a bottom-up economy. And yeah. the bottom-up one is always the, the, the most dramatic. But the, the key thing is that if you're in the public service and you get paid, you have no impact on your income. Right? Yeah. If you are worried in the private sector, not in the private sector, but in the small business mm -hmm. sector, much more so, what you're doing all the time is you're trying to, and we know it ourselves, you're trying to juggle cash flow all the time. Mm. Cash is precious. And if you're closed down, you've no cash, right? And this kicks in a whole anxiety that it strikes me the public servant doesn't understand, you know? Yeah. Not only are the small businesses struggling, but they're also at the same time trying to reinvent themselves. Like all those companies that we highlighted earlier on the year in the first lockdown, yeah. people trying to pivot and reinvent themselves. And but survive. Yeah. And survive. And, you know, it's not just 
survive purely from an economic perspective? Like there's a lot more there's to it a than hell that. Of a lot more. The human factor. You're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the big takeaways, it's like everything. If you don't have skin in the game, yeah. you don't understand the game. Now, if you're taking decisions from a perspective of not having skin in the game, you have no idea what the ramifications are for the average person who's in the game. Yeah. That's the problem. And it's not that we're talking about a minority of people in the game. We're talking about, if you look at those figures I just gave you, the majority yeah. of people, right? And that's, that's the dilemma. But, you know, I've always thought, you know, the small business person, they're the guys who wake up in the middle of the night worried about paying the rent, paying suppliers, agonizing about products, marketing, advertising, cash flows, keeping the staff, even keeping the staff they have, keeping those staff sane mm. during the lockdown. These are the people who pay enormous insurance just for the privilege of opening up. They have debts. They are, again, managing cash flow. The public servant doesn't see this. They yeah. don't worry about these things. These are, this is not in their world. They have other worries is usually a lot of politics and, you know, the, the sort of way the office... Sure. You know, but those sort of existential fears that the small business person has are something that unless you experience it, you have no idea how debilitating it is and how much anxiety you go through. You know, think about a small business person. They're thinking, will my customers ever come back? public servant guy has no customers, mm. doesn't have to worry about these things. Will the loan I took out to expand the business, will that be an anvil around my neck while the business yeah. has yeah. disappeared? So you think of restaurants and bars who might have said, geez, it's been a great tourist year, 2019. Why don't we expand a wee bit? Yeah. You know, these are anxieties that, as you said, yes, you can measure them in balance sheets, mm. And yes, you can measure them in economics, but in actual fact, they are deeply psychological, traumatic, and ultimately emotional events. And I think that, again, people don't understand how emotionally attached to the business small business people oh, are. Of course. Well, that's I mean, their whole life. But I also wonder the kind of subliminal message from the government, which was earlier on with would say Pascal being very cautious and wary about taking out more loans because, you know, interest rates might change later yeah, on. Remember yeah. he was saying this before. We know that was a profound misdiagnosis of <laughs> economics. <laughs> Indeed. But now he's changed his mind, so that's fine. He's listening to the, the podcast. it's the same kind of yeah. thinking that a small business will have, afraid to kind of go after a loan or invest more because the complete uncertainty of where the economy is going to be. Well, if we just look, right... But if we stand back, you're absolutely right, John. What I find difficult to take on board is the fact that when decisions are taken, the makeup of those decision makers should be representative of the society at large. At the very least. Yeah. I really think so, right? One of the reasons that, for example, those citizens' forums worked and assemblies worked so well, with those moral decisions like abortion and divorce and all those ones, right? was that in actual fact they road-tested the idea amongst average punters and said, what do you think of this, what do you think of this? Yeah. And then they got a sense of where the legislation could land and what the referenda would deliver. Mm. Right? And it was a, you know, it's this idea of things need to be representative. Now, what we have now, and it's interesting we talked about, we started with a three-mile pub, right? <laughs> what we yeah. have now is directives from the top. 
Most of the time, we buy into that because we say, okay, those guys are the experts, they know. But it strikes me that because the lockdown is economically so blunt, it has no nuance. It is the hammer and the tiny nail approach. You just slam it, right? Okay. The ramifications for people are not being heard at any level, right? This is not to say that we should rip up the script. It's just to tease out the idea that what makes an economy tick is not the permanent government, but in actual fact, it is the freedom, the ideas, the creativity, the risk-taking of small businesses. That's what makes the economy tick. Mm. If, for example, permanent governments made the economy tick, well, then the Soviet Union would have ended up being the most fantastic economy in the world. Because <laughs> you'd say, we'll build loads of bridges, and there'll be economists, economists have this stupid yeah. idea that the more bridges and infrastructure we build, the better, <laughs> right? You know? I mean, yeah. think of it, right? So we'll grow by building motorways, and we'll yeah. grow... No, you don't... Economic growth comes from people's inspiration and comes from ideas and comes from wealth creation of small individual companies. Mm. This is why all big companies started as small companies. People forget that, you know? Of course, yeah. And with this unusual, probably quite strange individual who said, no, I am going to make a difference. I'm going to do it my way, and away we go, right? They're the people who are being suffocated by the lockdown. But now that, you know, we've had the biggest budget, like, for the longest time. For the longest time. (laughs) So now that we have the money, how do you distribute How do you give out the goodies? How do you give out the goodies, right? Exactly. So I think... The most important thing is to understand what the key problem is. The key problem Mm. is cash flow. Because without cash cash flow, your best business idea, your best creditors, your best property, your best premises, your best retail, doesn't matter. If you have no cash, you go bust, right? Yeah, yeah. So identify that. There's what, What I worry about is that if you think about the only thing the... HSC really had to do between March or April and now Mm. was build more capacity for the second wave that they told us in April was going to happen. Absolutely. It's actually, that's beyond me that. Right. But go on. So so that was the only thing they had to do. Now, do you know what's going to happen in Ireland? You know, we're going to have a tribunal. Okay. (laughs) I bet you in about five years' time investigating COVID, investigating why we didn't build capacity. All, All those lawyers, I can hear them rubbing their hands already. <laughs> and of course, lawyers are part of a guild, and that guild is government-sanctioned, called the Bar Council. So any, you know, like what I'm talking about is there are parts of the economy that are all protected yeah. in some yeah, way, yeah, yeah. shape or form. Right? They're going to make a fortune. There will be a tribunal. Yeah, you know, <laughs> no you could, doubt. There, no doubt. Right, <laughs> rather right. So the very people who were charged with making us ready with that mentality... Mm are now charged with giving it the readies. But they don't understand, because they've no experience of this, that it's actually cash flow is the key issue. And the reason they don't understand that cash flow is the key issue is if you're getting paid, come what may, every month, you never have a cash flow issue. Because the cash is always coming in, you never ask where it's coming from, yeah. it just arrives yeah. miraculously in your paycheck. Yeah. With, you know, bunrock in the hair and or, you know, whatever. Yeah. No. So if you think... Small businesses go bust because they lack cash. And then you think all small businesses now have no cash. Mm. So consequently, I've always thought that business is this extremely complex, interlinked, 
an interrelated web of obligations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not of money, but of obligations. So I've got to pay you, you've got to pay him, she's got to pay her, she's got to open her doors, she's, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's an intricate web. The lubricant of that web is cash, right? That's what makes the world go round. Money makes the world Mm. go round, right? If you're worried about cash flow, the last thing you're going to do is go to the bank looking for a soft loan because you don't want any more loans because, yes. as you said, you're worried about the future. Exactly. Right? That's the yeah. first thing. The second thing is your mindset is not going to be, I'm going to fill out this form, I'm going to go to the department of this, I'm going to get a grant for this. That's a, what I call as a grantocracy in Ireland. Okay? <laughs> the grantocracy is a right. whole little cottage industry of people who exist on grants. Right. Okay? Yeah. And the grantocracy is enormous, right? And the grantocracy has a certain type of bookkeeping, which is very technical, right? Right. The ability to get grants, okay? Yeah. And it's a whole new area. We will go into this in another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a little bit of experience in that, actually. Myself. Have you? Well, just, you know, the way, because I've done loads and loads of documentaries, but it's getting that grant from the, the BAI. Yes. And the hoops you have to jump through. Exactly. It's just so, unbelievable. So we will discuss... The, it's a skill in itself. We will dis- It is a skill in itself. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. most people don't have it, Yeah. right? yeah. So we'll discuss the grantocracy and other thing. But the small business person, the way in which the government is giving out the money still smacks of that top-down, we need to know where the money is going approach, right? Yeah. Rather than what we need is actually the opposite, which is if you're going to spend 10 billion or 20 billion, give the money directly to small businesses, assuage their anxieties about staying afloat, assuage their creditors' anxieties about getting paid because the reason people call in loans is because they worry that they won't get paid. And that worry is a function of cash flow. If you give, this is the helicopter money idea, Mm. if you give directly money to people, all that fear disappears. And rather than trying to orchestrate the whole thing from the top, Mm. which is what I would call hydraulic economics. Like you pull a lever, you know? <laughs> oh, I just love the terms. It's, but it's, it's like hydraulic. Yeah, yeah. You pull this lever here yeah, and then yeah. that happens. It's like, you know the way if you see fellas, in actual fact, I was watching fellas outside the door, uh, 10 lads yeah. w- looking down a hole the other day, <laughs> right? With one, another little small JCBs. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he pulls one lever and then the JCB goes up, right? Yeah. That's what I mean by hydraulic economics, yeah. right? Public servants are what I would call the top of the public servants, right? They seem to think the economy works in that way, like a hydraulic machine. Yeah. But we know it evolves. Yeah. It actually works much more, much more like an animal, a creature than a machine. Yeah. Right? But people can't get their heads around that. So you just give the creature money and let the creature do its own thing. Yeah, no, I get it. And and I suppose, you know, in the interests of uh, transparency, you know, that's why there, it's this hydraulic economy. They want to be able to be accountable for every where every single cent has gone. Otherwise, it will add a few few more years to the uh, tribunal. But the tribunal, 20, 20, yes. 30, in actual fact, John, I think we should we should ready ourselves for a indeed little small consultancy. We put the the grantocracy will morph <laughs> into podcasting, and we will we will be a consultancy for the yeah. tribunal, which will get us into our dotage because we're nearly there at this. Oh day. yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be perfect. That'd be our pension. No, exactly. But but you see what I mean. So if we come back, right. This is not having a go at public servants or, or, or civil servants at all. What it's doing, it's highlighting the fact that the incidence of the pain in the lockdown is very different 
yeah. between small businesses and the protected sector. And if the government has decided, and rightly so, to spend now yeah. to try and cushion the blow, then it makes much more sense to go down the helicopter money idea than it does to go down the hydraulic grantocracy idea. Yes. Okay. But as you said, the grantocracy keeps the public servant in control. Yeah. And we know that public servants' control is what destroys the economy. It's allowing people to do their thing. You know, this is this theory I've had for a long time that the reason Ireland grew dramatically in the last 40 years has been a function of liberalism. And why I say liberalism, it's this idea that commercial self-expression, opening a cafe, a startup, a little small Mm. company, is the mirror of moral and individual self-expression. So once you leave people alone to do their own thing, and we see this going all the way back to the Dutch Republic in the 17th, 16th century, yep. 17th century, Britain in the 18th century, all, all, you know, all countries that grew, it always coincided with an outbreak of liberalism and liberty and the state or the church or whatever was the controlling mechanism, ceding power, allowing the individual to go and do... It's this idea of have a go, you do yeah. your thing. Providing a little bit of, of fertiliser. Pro- exactly, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and then in return, the obligation is, is, is the small businesses pay tax and this goes back to the whole system and one part of the garden, so to speak, fertilises the other. Yeah. And it all grows at a clip because if you look in Ireland, for me, there is no coincidence that this economy has grown faster than any other economy in Europe during a period when we liberalised everything. That's the key thing. But now in the lockdown, we need to appreciate that. And I think that people need to be reminded that the economy is not one machine, that hydraulically everybody has the same experience. But in actual fact, there's very many different experiences. And if decisions are being taken by people with only one experience, you get groupthink at the top. And groupthink at the top is incredibly dangerous. So, John, it strikes me that the essence of economic growth is not actually more bridges or trains or even more actual education. You know, the idea that we keep giving, if we have 20,000 more PhDs, Mm. the economy will grow, that that doesn't make sense. In fact, Flann O'Brien had that idea. He thought we should give degrees to everyone. Right, just for the hell of it. Like. So everyone could walk around with a degree. <laughs> it's true, yeah. right? And, and, and he was taking the piss, obviously, right? Yeah. But there's, 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 there's a side of economics that feels that way, that if we get 20,000 PhDs, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just give them out, like Flann O'Brien. You get to choose which one. <laughs> well, because, because you, know, you know, if you have two PhDs in the world, they're very valuable. If you've 27,100 PhDs in the world, they're not valuable. Yeah. And Flann O'Brien was actually making this point, which, again, it was in The Brother. It was yeah, the brother, one of The Brother's that. great one ideas, one right? Yeah. But I sometimes when I listen to, to, to people talking about, well, we must invest enormously in, in, in fourth-level education and we must create and have a target for PhDs, right? Yeah. 10,000 new PhDs. I always think of The Brother, <laughs> Flann O'Brien, which is obviously the way my brain works. <laughs> it's a bit weird. But to come back to the actual point, John... I think what will happen in the next six weeks, we started with this idea that the solidarity is atrophying, it's fraying people, will be this significant disparity 
between people who have skin in the game, who live in the world of risk, mm. live in the world of insecurity, and don't know whether or not the shop will be open by Christmas, and people for whom the lockdown is an inconvenience, they're going to get paid every week, there's going to be no risk in their lives, and frankly, those guys are now making the decisions for the guys who actually are shouldering all the risk. And that seems to me to be an evidential divide in the country, which will get worse over the coming six weeks. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So it's funny, John, you were talking there about your mother and the Three Mile Pub and the late yeah. 50s. Yeah, yeah. And I was making the, the connection that, you know, until Ireland began to give people freedom of self-expression, morally, sexually, and commercially, they yeah. all go together, all the same thing. The economy and the society never really took off. So we'd all this stuff about Ireland, remember all the stuff about Sean Lamas and the guy Whitaker and they created the, mm. you know, nonsense, nonsense. You can't have economic effervescence without personal liberty. And we didn't have personal liberty. That's come back significantly in the last few days, John. Have you been following the data issue yeah. in mother and baby homes? Have you been following I it haven't all? really, to be honest. It's, it's one of, to be honest, it's one of those topics and areas that I kind of shy away from deliberately because it's the whole... It's so freaky yeah. and so creepy. Yeah. And of course you have the tomb babies, yeah. right? all of that is and just so disturbing. Terrifying places, terrifying places where women who got pregnant before they were married or when they were not married get sent to slavery. Yeah. Ireland incarcerated more of its own people than the Soviet Union. Do you know that? As a, percent, as, a percentage as a percentage of our total, we incarcerated more of our own people than, we than the Soviet Union. Sent to the gulags. Exactly. Really? Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that an extraordinary idea? 
And again... That makes the whole story even more disturbing. Yeah. And again, there was complicity at every level of society. Every level. Not just the church, not just the state, not just the senior civil servants who orchestrated it, not just the banks that processed the checks from the work done, not just the very... I mean, at every level, I mean, if you were living in a small town and there was a mother and baby home beside you, you knew what was going on there. Yeah. Or at least you knew that something nasty was going on. Yeah. Now what we see, and this is what I can't understand, I haven't got to the bottom of it, the government has said that it will, like, you know, the official secrets acts. Yeah. Right, that there's a 30-year moratorium into accessing data and evidence yeah. from these mother and baby homes. Now, John, I'm just saying, imagine you were born in one of those. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people born in one of those. Of course you want to know what happened to your mother, what happened to your potential brothers and sisters, yeah. what happened to you, because so much of you would, let's say if you're our age, yeah, you'd block that stuff out, you know, psychologically and whatever. Uh, I just find it very, very disturbing. The question is, John, who are they trying to protect? Well, yeah. And we've spoken before many times about the mental health of, of people being paramount. And as you just said, there are thousands of people walking around needing to know this information. It's part well, it's of their the, lives. Yeah. It's their lives, you know. And it's, it's funny, you know, the funny, you know, I know the podcast is economics, right? But it's about society and it's about our society and the society we were brought up in, the society we grew up in, the society we have, God bless the society, formed a bit of or contributed <laughs> to it, right? But, but part of that is a ventilation of secrets, of yeah. what happened, of shining a light in difficult places and saying, this happened, we did it. Yeah. Yes, under the orchestration of the church, but also the complicity of lots and lots of non-church people. Yeah. I find it very disturbing that in 2020, there would be some reason for the state to deny those people who want to know what happened access to the records of a state commission yeah. that was set up. It seems, it seems very bizarre. But more to the point, John, it's kind of creepy. Just before we go, stick around because on Thursday we will have a special bespoke episode on the impact of whatever happens in the States, Biden or Trump, on financial markets. So that's bond markets, currency markets, economic growth, stock markets, etc. So that's coming up on Thursday, so we'll talk to you then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.